Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studios in Atlanta, it's time for Silver Lining in the Cloud, brought to you by Computer Design and Integration. Good morning, Atlanta, and welcome to Silver Lining in the Cloud, where we talk with business leaders from Atlanta and the surrounding communities. Silver Lining in the Cloud is sponsored by CDI Managed Services, where we provide outsource IT consulting and integrated solutions. I'm your host, Nicole Toptosh. With us in the studio this morning is Neil Stevens, President and CEO of Oconee State Bank. Also joining us is uh, Trevin Dye, Assistant Director at Jetro. And rounding out our panel this morning is Beth Matthews, PR and Advertising Volunteer with Japan America Society of Georgia and Japan Fest. Thank you all for taking time out of your business schedules this morning to be with us in the studio. Neil, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. Yes, we've got a lot of exciting things going on and and we want to know. So get us started and uh, tell us about uh, the history and heritage of Oconee State Bank and what it means to the community. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you, Nicole. Oconee State Bank was a bank that was founded in 1960 in Watkinsville, Georgia. So we're coming up on our 58th year in business. Mm-hmm. It's really remarkable, uh, the history the bank has had and what it's accomplished over its time period. We're about a $330 million community bank today. We were founded there, right there locally. <laughs> we have about 715 shareholders. Mm-hmm. And it is an icon in the Oconee County community. So if those of you who don't know where that is, Watkinsville, Oconee County is sort of a suburb of the Athens MSA. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's real close to the Athens market. And so we serve Oconee County, Clark County, Walton County, those counties surrounding their Oconee County. So, Love a good community bank with some history. I like that. So uh, let's talk about the future. You know, they've been around going on their 58th year. What's what's going on with the future of Oconee State Bank and uh, growth? And, and how do you plan to grow that bank significantly while maintaining the rich history and heritage. Yeah, it's always important that uh, any bank uh, or any company that has been around that long, you want to preserve the history of what brought it there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of great things happened with a lot of great stalwarts over the years that were part of that institution. But Mm -hmm. also, you have to change with the times and you have to think about what the future holds. And uh, what's happening in the banking community, the fintech area, electronic mm-hmm. banking, ways to tap into different markets. And so we want to preserve the heritage, which we plan to do. We don't plan to ever relocate our headquarters. We're going to be right there in Watkinsville. We're going to be an Oconee County bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, but simultaneous to that, we're also going to be looking to expand and grow. And I'm pleased to announce that this past Monday, we added a Gwinnett commercial team. Awesome. Uh, we created a loan production office in Gwinnett County uh, over Ooh, on Sugarloaf Parkway. County. I was able to um, uh, hire some fellows that worked for, for us at a former bank, mm-hmm. um, uh, Mike Fulton and Josh Osborne, uh, who are gr- two great, uh, very solid commercial bankers, been around for a long time, a great history, great production. They're supported by uh, a lady named Deborah Worley, Mm -hmm. who is their commercial loan specialist that will help them administratively and with their production 
uh, bookings and uh, and those sorts of things with their loans. And so right. we have a great future here in Gwinnett County. But as I said earlier, we're also looking to preserve that heritage in, in Oconee County. Congratulations on that. That is awesome, uh, Neil. Now, you, you spoke about changing with the times. And, you know, I know recently you changed the branding and the logo. And when it comes to business, that's everything. So tell us about these changes and why. Yeah, what we did, we actually just recently changed our our vision and mission. And not mm-hmm. that we we had a, a poor vision and mission before. I think it was very good, but mm-hmm. we wanted to freshen that up. And uh, what we want to do uh, is really, it's not about Oconee State Bank. We want to mark the lives of other people. We want to mark the lives of our customers. We want to mark the lives of our team members who work for us. And so uh, our new mission is to create remarkable experiences that significantly mark the lives of others. Mm -hmm. And we feel like if we do that well, that we'll accomplish our vision, Mm -hmm. which our vision is to be essential to the lives, businesses, and communities we serve. Mm -hmm. And so we feel like that by doing those things, we'll automatically get the returns, the ROA, the ROE, mm-hmm. all of the business, uh, you know, performance metrics that any business has to get. Mm-hmm. Um, we often say that every business is in business to make money. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what for-profit company it is, but not every business has a purpose beyond money. And we really want to mark the lives of people. And we feel like by doing that, we'll get the returns we want. So the branding and the new logo mm-hmm. uh, that we did just uh, freshens up the logo as well, we freshen that up to sort of correspond with our vision and our right. mission. Putting the folks first, and they will remember that. We're talking with Neil Stevens, president and CEO at Oconee State Bank on Silver Lining in the Cloud, sponsored by CDI Managed Services. Now, Neil, you spoke a little bit about the culture, and culture is a huge part of what you're building at Oconee State Bank. Can you talk a little bit more about um, what good culture looks like and how you're going about building that culture within the organization? Absolutely. Culture is everything uh, to any company, and you hear that a lot. I mean, it's true. everybody talks about that, but I think very few companies truly get it and work intentionally to develop that culture in a way that is, you know, that's extraordinary. And what we've done. We have used uh, some material that actually Chick-fil-A was built on. Uh, It's uh, uh, an author who works for Chick-fil-A, wrote a book called Remarkable. Mm -hmm. And we're using a roadmap called Roadmap to Remarkable. And it's all about building the kind of culture that uh, where everybody in the company believes the best in each other. They expect the best from each other. They seek the best for each other. And they tell the best about each other. And so if you look at those, as that acronym, it spells best. Mm -hmm. Believe the best in, expect the best from, seek the best for, and tell the best about. And we really want to create a culture that we want uh, more for our people than what we expect from them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you can hire right, everything's about people. So if you hire right on the front end and get the right person, but then if your list of what you want for them is five times as long as the list of what you expect from them. Mm-hmm. You won't ever have any trouble getting what, you know, what, they will give you their best. We feel like if you take 
remarkable people Mm -hmm. and put them into a remarkable culture that will give you remarkable results. Remarkable results. I like that. It's kind of like having that Kaizen attitude, small improvements daily, gradually. Absolutely. That is is, uh, very key. So you had talked about these shareholders and uh, the length of time that the bank has been in business. Can you talk about the uh, target customers of Oconee State Bank? Sure. We are predominantly, our focus is a business-oriented bank. We're focusing on small to medium-sized companies, mm-hmm. um, uh, dentists, uh, healthcare professionals, other professionals, CPAs, attorneys, mm-hmm. but also commercial real estate on a selective basis. So if a group of people want to buy an office building then, and lease it and that sort of thing, we're mm-hmm. doing some of that, some retail commercial real estate where you may have okay. a hobby lobby or a you know, a, a large retail tenant. Uh, we're doing some of that kind of financing as well. And that um, business is booming. And that business is booming. And so, but I'd say predominantly our sweet spot are those small to medium-sized companies. Mm-hmm. Because of our history, we do serve, particularly in the Oconee County market, a large mm-hmm. number of consumers. And we want to oh. continue to take care of them right. and uh, make consumer lending and helping those a, a key part of what we do. But uh, for a bank our size, the real way to maximize our returns is to focus on on small to medium-sized companies. Okay. Now, uh, Neil, you've been in uh, the banking industry for quite some time. What do you enjoy most about what you do? You know, <clears throat> I'm asked that often. I love, I love the people aspect, but mm-hmm. to me, it's making a difference in the lives of the people that I get to be around every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love at the end of my time in banking, at the end of my life, for those to look back and say that I've somehow marked their life, made it better in some fashion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people forget goals. You can think back on your life of who won the Super Bowl in 1978. I mean, mm-hmm. we probably have to do a Google search to figure that out. But I bet if something happened that was remarkable and someone touched your life in 1978, you'll remember that event. And so that's what we want to do every day is mark the lives of people. And that's Mm -hmm. where I get my biggest satisfaction. And I'm honored and privileged to be in a position to be able to use my influence to do just that to serve others and really mark their lives in a major way. And continue making a difference. That is great, Neil. Neil, can you tell our listeners how they can get in contact with you? Sure. Uh, We are located uh, at 35 North Main Street in Watkinsville, Georgia. And I can give you a phone number here. Um, You could reach uh, us at uh, area code 706-769-3660. But for those in Gwinnett County and Metro Atlanta, we have the team now on Sugarloaf right. Parkway. And uh, I do not know off the top of my head, it's so new, I don't know that phone number. But Mike Fulton or Josh Osborne, mm-hmm. there at that office could help. And if you call that number, we can certainly get you in touch with them. Great. Thank you so much, Neil. And great updates. And again, congratulations on the growth and the expansion into Gwinnett County. That is huge. Well, thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much. All right. You've been listening to Silver Lining in the Cloud, sponsored by Computer Design and Integration and CDI Managed Services. Next up on our panel this morning, we have Trevin Dai, Assistant Director at Japan External Trade Organization, other, in other words, known as JETRO.
Welcome, uh, Trevin. And how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Great. So, Trevin, get us started and, and talk about um, what you do. And Sure. So, JETRO, Japan External Trade Organization, originally started post-World War II as a PR arm of the Japanese government. Mm -hmm. You can imagine that Japanese products were not seen very favorably after World War II. So, mm -hmm. the role of JETRO at that time was to help Japanese companies to present their products to the mm -hmm. world. So soon after that, in the age of the Walkman, as I call it, uh, the 80s, uh, I don't know how many people <laughs> who are listening remember the Walkman, but I had one. Me too. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, the strength of Sony and other companies allowed Jetro to, to not have to do as much on the PR side anymore. Mm -hmm. So what Jetro's role was at that point was helping outside companies to break into the Japanese market. So the role kind mm -hmm. of shifted a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now, post-bubble in the 90s, uh, the role kind of shifted back to the original uh, situation that we had, you know, before the Walkman. Right. Uh, where companies in Japan were having a hard time really doing the type of business that they had before. Over the time that I've been at Jetro, which is now 13 years, mm -hmm. it's shifted quite a bit as well. You know, we've seen tsunamis, we've seen, you know, the ups and downs. So my role at Jetro has been really to help companies open offices in Japan mm -hmm. and also to help the Japanese define business partners around the world. So that's, that's in a nutshell what Jetro does. So what are some of the most common misconceptions regarding doing business in Japan? So some of the misconceptions I've heard a lot um, is, well, the first is that Jetro, or I'm sorry, Japan is too expensive to do business mm -hmm. in. It's always one of the most expensive places that you can do business. Mm -hmm. But um, with some of the new regulations that are happening in Japan, things are a lot more palatable and not as cost prohibitive for companies, you know, who are entering the Japanese market. Right. Um, so that's one thing. There are a lot of... Ex there are a lot of mechanisms in place to help companies to kind of circumvent those costs of starting up in Japan. So that's the first thing. The costs are, are coming down. That's good. Uh, the second is that it's closed to outsiders and that it's hard to do business in Japan. Now, there is some truth to that in that it's difficult sometimes to find the optimal Japanese business partner mm -hmm. or, or partner in Japan. However, once you find that right partner, uh, they're a long-term partner. There's a little truth to that, but that's not the whole story. So I'd say those are the top two. Uh, the cost of doing business in Japan is not as high as you think. And also it's not as difficult to crack the market as it has been in the past. Right. So with costs coming down, then it's creating um, opportunities and advantages for, for companies to do business in Japan. Mm -hmm. What are some of the best opportunities and advantages for companies? So a lot of companies that approach Jetro or Japan in general are looking to establish themselves really in China as well. Mm -hmm. So one advantage you can see in Japan is that intellectual property rights are taken very seriously. Mm -hmm. So Japan is a nice place to start for businesses that would like to get into the Asian market uh, while protecting their property rights. So that's, that's a huge uh, advantage of doing business in Japan. Um, I'd say also, depending on your industry, mm -hmm. uh, skilled labor uh, is not a problem to find in Japan. Uh, it's very easy to live in Japan and to mm -hmm. navigate, you know, logistically in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, so those those are not issues that you would have to deal with uh, starting a business in Japan. So those are, are definitely pluses. 
Uh, I'd say the last thing is the uh, quality standards. Uh, <laughs> the exceptional quality standards you hear about in Japan are kind of notorious. Uh, we've heard stories of you know, Japanese companies returning whole shipments because there was a little glue on a bottle, on a water bottle. And that spoke to the quality or lack of quality control in a factory. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how true that particular story is, but I can say that if you can survive <laughs> the Japanese market as a consumer product provider, then you can basically survive everywhere because the standards are quite high. Okay. Yeah. So what types of services does Jetro extend to companies that are looking to get into the Japanese market? So Jetro is a one-stop shop, if you will, for companies that would like to do business in Japan. So some of the, the costs that we talked about, for example, mm -hmm. um, finding an office space in Japan, uh, finding specialists in Japan, registering your company, etc., all of those things are handled in the Jetro office mm -hmm. okay. in Japan. So you make that transition a little easier. Right. And there are six locations in Japan or spread all over Japan. And each of those offices has access to incentives that might be available on a mm -hmm. rotating basis that you can be aware of. Uh, free office space is provided, I think, up to 50 days, though you can, you can always extend that, that timeline as well. But during the time that you're occupying that space, you have full access to a whole uh, library of of materials you have uh, any number of specialists to mm -hmm. to consult you know pretty much uh, anytime you want and the only thing you pay uh, as a business owner is the landline so that's the only cost associated with that so that's wow. really the biggest tool mm -hmm. but uh, we also have business matching and business uh, I guess you could say um, invitation programs mm -hmm. so from the US side depending on which industry you're in Jetro will send you free of charge to Japan uh, to meet business partners, provide translators for you, uh, basically circumvent all of the, the cost and some of the obstacles you might encounter trying to do it yourself. That's a great hookup. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> so given the current economic climate, what are the most important skills for an international business career? I do a lot of panels with Georgia Tech um, mm -hmm. Business School or, or some of the others, and a lot of the students we see now are focusing more on their hard skills. So mm -hmm. everyone thinks they need an MBA. Everyone thinks they need, you know, ABC skills and, mm -hmm. and accounting, et cetera. Of course, you need those skills, mm -hmm. but they're softer skills that are now more important because you can't use any of those hard skills without first getting your foot in the door. <laughs> if no one <laughs> likes you, <laughs> you won't be able to really look at their spreadsheets. So, right. So I would say, especially given the climate of what's happening in the world um, and in the U.S. that we've all seen, I think um, we need to focus more on how we approach the world more so than uh, filling our toolbox with things, <laughs> you know, to, to use mm -hmm. uh, right now. So I would say languages, uh, being globally competent, things like this, and, you know, while, of course, supplementing that with the hard skills that you need are much more important than they used to be. And we can't ignore them just because we have an iPhone or just because we have a Google Translate app mm -hmm. <laughs> because it doesn't, it doesn't really go that, as far as we think it will. Right. We are talking with uh, Trevin Dai, Assistant Director at Japan External Trade Organization on Silver Lining in the Cloud, sponsored by CDI Managed Services. Now, uh, Trevin, you spoke about um, the 
help that your company provides uh, to companies that are looking to make that transition and do business in Japan. But there definitely has to be some challenges. So can you talk about the challenges that U.S. companies encounter when expanding to Japan and vice versa challenges that uh, Japanese companies encounter when expanding to the U.S.? I'd say for U.S. companies doing business, not just in Japan, but Mm -hmm. with the Japanese in general, Mm -hmm. I guess the the single biggest problem is a time discrepancy. Okay. And what I mean by that is on the U.S. side, we think business should move very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, we've we've spoken. I want to do business with you. I I like you because Mm -hmm. I I just met you. I've done some research. Mm -hmm. So... I expect to be able to outline things very quickly, send you a contract very quickly, and basically bring things to fruition quite quickly. Now, on the Japanese side, it doesn't work that way. Uh, There's a lot of decision-making that we're not necessarily used to, Mm -hmm. um, or at least a level of decision-making that we're talking about. I think it can be uh, surprising for companies when they come together to see how different that timeline is. It takes much longer to do business in Japan. I will say, I think what happens is the Japanese side feels like they're being rushed Mm -hmm. many times uh, when business is happening or being discussed. But um, I feel that when the two come together, there can be a lot of misconceptions Mm -hmm. that ultimately destroy the business. I think the the Asian, uh, Asian business community in general, including Japan, the business relationship is based on the personal relationship. That's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. So the contracts are not as important as the relationship itself. Mm-hmm. Because by virtue of my relationship with you, if something happens on the business side, it's not as big a deal because we're closer than we would have been as just business partners who are being brought together by a contract alone. Gotcha. So on the U.S. side, it's more, I don't know you well, I like you enough to do business and sign a contract, but let's make sure that we have all of our lawyers on the back end Mm -hmm. in case something goes wrong. Right. But that's kind of undermining the relationship itself because there's a trust issue there. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine what happens. So that's that's one of the biggest things you see. In terms of the challenges for Japanese companies coming to the U.S., uh, Jetro does a questionnaire every year asking companies in the Southeast, you know, what their biggest challenges are. And... Two of the biggest things that pop up are healthcare, not healthcare, uh, family services mm-hmm. for the executives that come because, of course, they have to have schools and things like that. So the executives are having an issue with that. But from the business side, it's more of an HR and staffing problem. They have a hard time finding highly skilled workers uh, to fill many of the positions they have. That's always one of the top two issues. So I don't know what the best way to to navigate that would be or to to kind of mitigate that later would be. But um, I think that that's something that is consistently popping up, I'd say, over the past six to seven years. Mm -hmm. So there are opportunities to work with Japanese companies when they come to the Southeast. But I think it takes a high level of engineering and a high technical uh, expertise to fill a lot of the positions that they're looking to fill. Okay. So are there any uh, favorite sectors or industries in Japan for U.S. companies to be aware of? So, Jetro, well, the great thing about Jetro and one thing I like about working at Jetro mm-hmm. is 
I'm not restricted by industry. So I can basically help any company I think has okay. potential in Japan. Right. That said, there are some bigger sectors like healthcare. So we've heard a lot about the aging population in Japan and in Asia. Well, really globally, we hear a lot about the aging population. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's um, well, while of course there are issues about that itself, mm -hmm. the fast food industry, for example, we see Western food, fast food <laughs> popping up everywhere. So that's creating a lot of issues in the healthcare industry in Japan because we're seeing a lot more obesity. We're seeing a lot more health-related uh, issues that are mm -hmm. coming from food or, or inactivity because of technology, things like this. So I would say healthcare is one. Uh, environment mm -hmm. is another one. So the environmental sector or alternative energy, we've, of course, seen the tsunami and a few other things. So there are a lot of opportunities for companies that can provide solutions uh, in alternative energy spaces mm -hmm. for uh, Japanese citizens. Um, many companies want to be in Japan prior to the Olympics. So the Olympics in 2020 <laughs> in Japan, everybody wants to go. But a lot of companies want to have a physical presence in Japan prior to that. So consumer products, uh, especially high-end consumer products or anything innovative for the Japanese market mm -hmm. goes a long way. So that's, that's another great space. And the final one I would say is maybe ICT. So anything in technology, mm -hmm. of course, or the deregulated, recently deregulated markets. Uh, fintech, financial technology is one. Uh, the other is the gas industry. Uh, that's another big opportunity for Japan or for foreign companies entering Japan. Okay. <laughs> so um, you mentioned that, you know, you guys can help various companies to do business in Japan and consumer products are key. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of exports, what is Japan focusing on right now? So one of the big um, pushes for Japan right now is agricultural products. Okay. Um, of course, we see green tea. Um, you know, everyone wants that. <laughs> Everyone's all about green tea and matcha ice cream and, uh -huh. and things like this. So true. But uh, there's so many other Japanese products aside from sushi and, and tea uh, that people just don't know about. So we have a lot of buyer programs or programs to introduce companies to Japanese products. So for those that are interested, um, I'd say supermarkets or restaurants who want really interesting ingredients from Japan, not, I, I'm trying to think, uh, there's so many different types of tea these days. <laughs> I guess I can say now that Tivana was one of our clients oh, wow. um, okay. just prior to, to uh, the Starbucks mm -hmm. uh, uh, merch. But um, they were able to go or participate in one of our programs uh, to learn more about the tea in Japan and, and see more about uh, what's available in Japan. So I'd say that's another one. Uh, of course, sake mm -hmm. is another big one. Uh, we see a lot of restaurants popping up all over the place uh, in the southeast, in, in Georgia, especially in Florida. Miami comes to mind. Uh, everyone wants an international experience right now, I think. And that's great for international products, especially from Japan. That is awesome. Thanks for that information, uh, Trevin. Mm -hmm. Can you let our listeners know how they can get in contact with you? Sure. Uh, our website is www.jetro.go.jp. Um, and you can see we have six offices uh, domestically. And our Atlanta office is right next to Permitter Mall in Dunwoody. So 
feel free to call and ask me any questions you want. Perfect. Thank you so much for that enlightening interview. I learned a lot. Yeah. Now, keeping on the thread of our international theme here in Japan, we are uh, going to be speaking with Beth Matthews, and she's the PR and advertising volunteer for Japan Fest Atlanta. Welcome, Beth. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. That's good. Welcome, welcome. So Japan Fest, uh, we hear about that every year uh, in at the Atlanta Arena. What is it? Can you talk more about what you do? Sure. And I'm glad you know that it's annual. Um, this is our 31st year, and it's one of the largest Japanese cultural festivals um, in the Southeast. And this year, it's only two weeks away, happening September 16th and 17th. It's at the Infinite Energy Center in Duluth, so not too far from the studio. Uh, tickets will be $10, and then kids six and under are free because it's it's such a great family entertainment mm-hmm. opportunity. And And I'm kind of nodding as Trevlin talks because, you know, the understanding of Japan and the Japanese culture mm-hmm. being so key, this is a great place uh, to get that exposure uh, to Japanese culture. It's right. it's wonderful for that. It is. We've had the opportunity to go in years past and it's um, very interesting food and <laughs> culture. <laughs> I love it. So um, who organizes it uh, each year? Um, well, it's a nonprofit organization uh, set up to promote cultural and economic ties between Japan and the U.S. And it's got an organizing committee of around 12 people. Only three of those are uh, actually employed, paid employees by the nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest are from JETRO mm-hmm. and also from Japan Chamber of Commerce. Um, and then a few volunteers like, like myself. Um, and we have oversight by a board of directors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then key to the organization is, is a lot of volunteers that come out and help us um, on the weekend. But I also wanted to, to mention that as part of the festival, it's, we've got really high caliber musical performances mm-hmm. and artistic performances. So there's, there's a lot for people to, to see and do. What types of organizations and businesses participate? First, we have our, our car- corporate and local community sponsors. Okay. And uh, in addition to that, we'll have uh, this year over 10 uh, local food and restaurant uh, vendors um, and drink vendors. Um, and then there's all sorts of vendors uh, for different types of Japanese products, including a lot of anime, uh, which is, is very popular with, with the millennial set. Um, and then we have representatives uh, from a lot of the Japanese businesses in Georgia mm-hmm. uh, that have exhibits and representatives there to talk about uh, their services and products. Okay. And what type of relations do uh, Georgia and Japan share? So I guess you could say that um, relations date back even to 1853 when Commodore Matthew Perry took a trade expedition even back then from mm-hmm. the United States to Japan. And actually part of that was a Georgian participant. So um, you could say our relations date back that far. But, but there, as, as Trevon was talking about, uh, a very big economic uh, relationship. We, we have over 500 Japanese companies here in Georgia mm-hmm. now. Um, wow. And the investment that those companies have brought to the state is over $10.4 billion, somewhere around that figure. 
Those companies employ approximately 37,000 Georgians. Japan is also uh, Georgia's sixth largest export market. So mm-hmm. thanks to Jetro in part, we're um, Go pretty Jetro. large. Yeah, <laughs> pretty large there. And uh, the, that those exports were about $1.37 billion Those are some phenomenal numbers. But, there, but there's also a more cultural uh, relationship, I guess you could say, or community relationship. We've got 11 sister cities between Georgian cities and Japanese cities. Mm-hmm. And then Georgia is a charter member of what's known as the Southeastern U.S.-Japan Alliance. Mm-hmm. And that promotes trade, investment, but also understanding and friendship um, between Japan and the Southeast. And then you've got Delta flying direct from Atlanta to Tokyo. So... Mm-hmm. A lot of people on those flights, they're never empty, at least when I've been on them. Right. We're speaking with Beth Matthews, PR and advertising volunteer at Japan America Society of Georgia and Japan Fest. So, you know, this um, uh, festival is a, it's a very unique one. And what do you think are some key reasons why it's so unique? Um, well, there's, I think, a lot to do there. Um, and it, being one of the largest, there's a variety. Something's there for anybody. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned we have musical performances. So, and they're using Japanese instruments. So that it's something you won't see very often here in Atlanta. Uh, we've got the taiko drums. What else do we have? We have the shamisen, which is kind of a, a three-string banjo. Japanese banjo. Uh, we've got local J-pop musician coming, puppet theater, mm-hmm. and storytelling, ghost stories, Japanese ghost stories. That one's new this year, so looking forward to hearing some of those. And then what's really special this year mm-hmm. is we've got a special performance. It's called Hibiki, uh, going on after the close of uh, Japan Fest on Saturday. It starts at 7, doors will open at 6.30, but it's bringing together about 12 musicians on the variety of, of different instruments. And it's a collaboration. And in addition, there'll be a digital art component. So the music um, will trigger the art, basically. It's interactive. Uh, so it should be really cool. And I'm looking forward to, to that. Sounds interesting. Now, you spoke in detail about the strong ties between uh, Georgia and Japan Can you talk a little bit about uh, the future of that relationship? Well, I think, um, as we can see by by Japan Fest, um, and this is our 31st year, so the tie continues on, and we we always have great participation from the Japanese business community. Um, What um, one of the, I think, Georgia has been a great state uh, for not just Japan, but we've seen other companies from other countries uh, coming into Georgia as well. So mm-hmm. I think uh, from that, we can see that that Georgia is a great place for companies to invest in and certainly the Japanese companies. Um, we've seen most recently uh, Kubota, which is a, a machine uh, and vehicle manufacturer, uh, does the turf, the, mm-hmm. the lawnmowers and stuff. They just set up a plant uh, in Gainesville this mm-hmm. past April so uh, the Japanese investment continues. I think it's very positive. Um, and Japan Fest is a great way for people to come out and learn, and, more. And learn more about it. Right. Um, Looking forward to hearing more about that, that growth. 
Beth, can you uh, let our listeners know how they can get in contact uh, with you to learn more about the festival? Sure. I think the best way to learn about that is through our website, so japanfest.org. And uh, we have a Facebook page as well. Um, So there's lots of ways to get to us, but you can also purchase your tickets online. I would strongly suggest that so you don't have to wait in line when you get to, to the door at the Infinite Energy Center. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to uh, being in attendance again and celebrating culture. Well, and thank you so much for coming out. Thank you. You've been listening to Silver Lining in the Cloud, where we talk to business to uh, uh, where we talk business to business. Thank you to our great hosts today, Neil Stevens with Oconee State Bank, Trevin Dye with Japan External Trade Organization, and Beth Matthews with Japan Fest. We appreciate you all for what you do for the community, and thank you for being on the show. I'm Nicole Toptosh on behalf of CDI Managed Services. And as a reminder, to listen to this show and other Silver Lining in the Cloud broadcasts, go to silverlining.businessradiox.com. And until next time, remember, when it comes to IT solutions, CDI Managed Services is your Silver Lining in the Cloud.